Good morning, BHA. It is a podcast about barbershop recorded today. Richard Reeve in Queensland and there's Ash down in Perth. Two Australians talking about the greatest hobby on earth. Oh boy, it's swell to say. Good morning, BHA. Good morning, BHA. Hello, oh BHA, Mr. Schofield. Hello, Richard Reeve. It's nice to see you. The, yeah. the, listeners can, the listeners can hear the smiles in our voices because we're actually <laughs> seeing each other live in person. It's, no, we're not. We're over, <laughs> we're over video. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, I, I can promise you we're both live where we yeah. each are. <laughs> yes. Correct. <laughs> uh, welcome to the latest episode of uh, Good Morning BHA. This is exciting. Uh, Without letting the cat out of the bag too much, we um, we uh, had a little hiatus, but now we've got a we've got a, a renewed vigor, a renewed skip in our step, yes. and uh, what 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 better way to uh, get this renewed skip in our step started than uh, a uh, barbershopper of many years? Um, this person has has represented Australia uh, at international, um, has uh, coached around Australia as a music director, as an arranger. Um, an all-round barbershopper, please welcome uh, Glenda Lloyd. Woo. Hello, it's so lovely to be here. It says here, yes. Um, <laughs> Glenda, uh, it's <laughs> one, of, one of my all-time favourite pieces of shtick, which was, Ash, correct me if I'm wrong, yesteryear? I'm, I'm pretty oh, sure I that's the case, what that's what I remember anyway. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, that's uh, of what I will uh, use 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 uh, oh, yeah. on stage at some stage is the is the reading outfit. Yes, <laughs> Glenda, um, uh, t- tell us before we get uh, too stuck into various other things. Just tell us the latest. We uh, we're we're uh, I'm recording this on uh, uh, Thursday, the first of April, and of course uh, Brisbane has just come out of a three almost three day lockdown. So everyone sort of around the country has just been sh- sort of re-shocked about the reality of uh, the limitations we're under. Um, tell us about your barber shopping and your quartet and chorus barber shopping in, in recent times, basically. How you been going? We've been very fortunate in Canberra. Our last case of community transmission was in May last year. So we've really been able to, to a certain degree, operate as normal. We did um, Zoom re- uh, rehearsals just as everybody else did until July last year. And then we started doing alternating zoom and live and we kept doing the alternating one because there were a lot of people who were just too basically either too afraid or too cautious or they had too many responsibilities to be able to come to a live rehearsal and we sort of felt that that was a good way of mixing it up and by the time we got to about september october we went to three live to one zoom and then at the beginning of this year we went to full-time rehearsals again um they're not normal rehearsals entirely to start with, we had everybody on the floor spread out and um, having 40 singers spread around the floor when they're used to being packed together on the risers was challenging. What we discovered is the further you were from the musical director, the slower you sang. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and so there was this kind of weird wah effect to everything, which was just the people on the edges singing a lot slower. This year we've solved that by putting up the risers, but seven sets of risers only hold 15 singers. Yeah because we have them, we only use the back row and the bottom row, and that's it. So you'll have maybe seven along the back row, seven along the front, and then I've got three or four rows on the floor. But we have found that that, anybody who's going back to rehearsal, who's not at rehearsal now, I would suggest this because we found it framed the rehearsal better, the sound was better, and people behaved like they were on the risers. Whereas when they were on the floor, people wandered off and you know had chats and had drinks and you know, just wandered off, meandered around, and yeah. So just having the risers physically there, even though only half of your chorus is on them, just brings a, a, a mental focus to rehearsal. Absolutely, it did, um, but it also did have an effect on the sound because the people who were on the back risers were often the stronger singers, and that just it made the sound more cohesive to do that. So both the mental effect and the real physical sound. And tell us about your uh, chorus culture coming into this. Of course, some choruses are 
very uh, casual and, and low key, and people come and go as they please. Others are, you know, have quite a quite a tight culture in that they really try to encourage people to be there every week, etc., and have a high commitment. Um, where were you on that spectrum, and how did COVID and people's changed availability influence how you you what you expected and asked of your members? So we're a really high performing chorus. Um, we've got a very strong culture that people should be there if they can be and that uh, everybody's important. We don't have strict attendance uh, requirements though because I've got a number of women who are quite high in the government and one in particular missed rehearsal three times in a row because she had uh, she was assessing Australia's lamb trade with Indonesia and then she was inspecting our live meat imports in China and then she had to meet with the Japanese Prime Minister and I said really <laughs> that she just wasn't trying hard enough but interestingly she's always up to date so but we are quite driven and our rehearsals, people come and they don't talk on the risers. I don't know how I have achieved this because we had 25 years of everybody talking on the risers, but in the last five years, people have decided they want to hear what I have to say at the end of rehearsals. So we're focused and we're driven. And the effect of that was, it was actually really hard. We hated Zoom rehearsals and I struggled there's some Pollyanna people on Facebook saying, oh, Zoom rehearsals are great. No, they're not. They're just better than nothing. Yeah. Really, really. What were your so initial a... realisations about, about the limitations of Zoom? I really hated the lack of feedback from the chorus, you know, and the fact that we just really couldn't sing. And I think it must have been, I mean, I'm, I work as an educator in my professional career, including doing online education, and I found it soul-sucking. So people who, who haven't got that experience must have really struggled. But we did in the end settle into a groove and largely what we did was we kind of got rid of all the expectations that we were actually going to get better or sing and just use it as a time to see each other. But we had a lot of fun. We dressed up every week, which I think a lot of people do. Um, we, I took to running classes instead of rehearsals and I had a backlog of classes that I'd taught at various events that the chorus then got to experience which was actually great. About every third rehearsal, we'd just have a, um, just watch a group of videos. And in fact, those were people's favorite rehearsals. And then I'd throw them into Zoom rooms and they'd all talk about you know, what they liked or didn't like or laughed at the costumes, especially some of the older Sweet Adeline videos, which I made them watch where everybody wore matching wigs. Mm -hmm. oh, thank God those days are gone. Um, that's something but, that's, you know, that's it, not gender specific, laughing at old videos. No, no, no. Well, you know, you can look at the old BHS videos with the frilly shirts in pale blue oh, yeah. with the, you know, looking like Saturday Night Fever. Mm. But, As was um, the fashion of the I think day. We were, it was. But we were glad when it was done. And we do feel for the people around the world who are still Zoom rehearsing. I thought, saw one of the uh, Sweet Adeline choruses in Canada that's quite high achieving about two weeks ago celebrated their 50th Zoom rehearsal. Oh man! Because it had been a whole year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think to, yeah. to, to, to what I've observed is um, that a lot of people, when they think Zoom rehearsal, they kind of think it's roughly the same as a real rehearsal, but over Zoom. Mm. And what I I think what the case is that the number one thing that sort of reality shock that most people get is that you can't actually sing and hear everybody else at the same time, which is kind of the number one thing we do this for. And I think that's been the main shock for everyone, just that that the main thing we do it for is, is yeah, we can do uh, priorities two, three, four, and five, but not number one. Yeah, we can't actually sing. Yeah. So we were pretty fortunate in that we had relatively recent rehearsals of most uh, recordings of most of our repertoire. So we would play them from time to time and People would sing along at home, but I think everybody was just doing it to be a good team player, mm. not because they were getting much out of it. But they did really like learning tags, and we learnt tags every week. And we were fortunate that our quartet could meet most of the time, so we would often record the tag ourselves at a rehearsal, and then the chorus would sing along with us singing the tag once mm. they'd all learned mm. parts. And we've kept that now that we've gone back to rehearsal. We still learn a tag every week, and you know that's not a sweet Adeline thing. That's awesome. But it is for us, yeah. And to what extent... It's becoming so. Nice. Um, so remind me, how long were you on Zoom and to what was there any noticeable difference in culture when people came back, the, you know, as far as a renewed valuing of what it is we do? 
Actually, when we came back, we we felt a bit lost. In fact, I think we felt a bit lost the whole time. So for Brenda Bella, we were, it, we stopped meeting in February and we were supposed to go to international convention in October and put on our Harmony Classic package. So, you know, a 15 minute mini musical. Mm. And we were ahead. We had learned all the songs. Mm. We had a coach in who was helping us with the staging. We were just so ready to go. And then, of course, International Convention was cancelled and is cancelled again. And I think by the end of the year, we were just being there because we believed in the chorus and no one really knew. We did, we did, we'd lost our drive. We couldn't work for performances. We couldn't work for competitions. And we were a contest-driven chorus. At the beginning of this year, we said, well, we're just going to find some other things to do. We did some goal setting and, and we kind of got our, our mojo back, I think. In January, so a whole year of floundering. <laughs> and and uh, um, do you get much of a sense of, of the range of reactions in your members when when uh, competition's not available and even public performances aren't available? Um, were some of your members uh, really quite still quite excited about you know just the singing, or and for others was that sort of very very sort of lukewarm exciting because there was nowhere to take that singing after you'd rehearsed yeah it, more the second right i think because we have been focused we have been quite contest focused but not only because we want to win a contest because it gave us something to work for and um you know we've become very accustomed to my chorus will happily pick apart the diphthongs for 15 minutes coaches come and they can't believe that we're happy to talk about diphthongs for that long and everyone's got an opinion um, and so there was that lack of direction that what, what are we learning and what are we learning for became a problem. And now we're, we're back to it again. Mm -hmm. So you, you say you got the, the mojos back, is that, but with still really nothing um, on, like on the horizon, is it, is it more about like just enjoying rehearsals now and like appreciating being able to sing together? Somewhat. We're also now... They cancelled the Sweet Adeline Convention this yeah. year, but we're now feeling pretty confident that we'll be able to go next year. So we're kind of at the point at which we were when we first qualified, because in Sweet Adeline land, you qualify in May and you go a year and a half later in October. So we're kind of at the point of starting again. We've had a coach come in and do some stuff on our visual presentation. We've honed our repertoire down. We're enjoying seeing the songs. I think people are enjoying the singing because it's actually good again. And so they are, yes, they are enjoying that. And the discussion we had at the beginning of the year is, let's work out how much of our barbershop life we spend in the rehearsal hall singing and how much of our barbershop life we spend on stage. And the answer is we spend 15 minutes on stage actually singing this package and do 10 one-hour performances throughout the year. But the most of our barbershop life is actually the stuff we do in the hall together and we're still doing that. So that's been good. But I... I have lost some members and I think some of them were people who were perhaps just going to stay until the Harmony Classic, but they might also, some of them are people who've got someone who cares for an elderly relative and doesn't do any, um, any social activities at all. She pretty much just stays home. A couple of people with busy jobs have got busier and I know that in parts of Australia people have lost their jobs. In Canberra, most of my members are now working 50 hours a week instead of 40 for supporting you know the various employment programs at the moment floods um, i work for services australia so they were pulled in all these extra staff to do with flood relief um my chorus are just so busy so they're happy to come to rehearsal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when they get there yeah mm. any final questions about chorus uh, ash i might move well, on to um, some quartet stories just, yeah or just as as a director like i know i've I've found that I've had that it gave me a lot more time to plan the next however long because we because we didn't have any events that got in the way I was like it just it it just happened that we could now plan our repertoire and we've just been building some rep and it's it's going well like that have you have you found that Look, that's a really exciting idea. And I think if my chorus thought that I would ever actually plan anything, <laughs> they might all faint because I'm not, not good at planning. Um, I tend to rock up to rehearsal and just fly by the seat of my pants. Um, we'd probably have won international contest if I planned <laughs> by now, but, you know. <laughs> um, look, that's not entirely true. You know, we, we, we have had 
it tends to be a bit more organic though but we have looked at our repertoire and said what do we want to keep singing it's been an opportunity to learn new songs without having that interruption of well now we're just focusing on contests yeah. for the next six weeks so I think from that perspective that's been really good um yeah but I yeah I'm, I'm very impressed that you do all that playing <laughs> But then, but then, to be fair, I've been directing for 29 years, so I do tend to just rock yeah. up and do my thing. That, that's all good. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, hey, Glenda, um, uh, speaking of rocking up and doing your thing, do you, um, uh, how do you manage who's in front of the chorus? Are you basically in front of the chorus the whole night, or have you got a, is there a bunch of other people you, you um, sort of, you know, give a few minutes to here and there. How, how do you how do you manage who's in front of the chorus of a, a rehearsal night? It's mostly me in front of the chorus, mm-hmm. um, but my section leaders, well, usually in normal life, run section practices, and we'll sometimes break up for those. And they're all they're all very experienced long term barbershoppers, except for the bass one who's learning fast, um, and they can just do their own thing. And I'm away sometimes. I travel, so my assistant director gets to run her our own rehearsals from time and now she's got a bit of extra backup because Avril Hughes has moved to Canberra and moved on to the music team so she's also um, very good for that kind of thing but pretty much if I'm there I'm running it mm. and um, uh, organizationally you've got obviously a, a what do you call it a, a, um, a management team management team yeah because the RMT is the equivalent uh, of national isn't it um, and um, yeah. At is is um, just sort of a, no, I don't get too much into the weeds, but do do, um, do you or does, does uh, someone in in the uh, organisational wing sort of communicate with members outside rehearsals about um, you know what to do for next week? Oh yeah, I have nothing to do with any of that anymore. Mm-hmm. I've finally, after a number of years, released the reins. So you know, I don't worry about. I only have an opinion about the finance in terms of whether or not the chorus can afford to do the things I want yeah. to do, or. <laughs> Um, the membership coordinator looks after the new members. I care if they can sing well or not, which is, I'm very fortunate actually to have a really good management team because I can do all the music I want and um, go to them and say, I want to do these things. Can we can we afford it? Does it fit in with all this other stuff? And they tell me yes or no. Usually they just say yes, because that seems to be safer <laughs> for them. I'm not good at no. <laughs> but you know, I'm a benevolent dictator. <laughs> And um, in yeah. relation to uh, the, the uh, you mentioned just uh, now that it, it, after a while you've you've now got that situation. Is that something you worked on for a while? What tell tell us about that journey? Uh, uh, I think, it's, well, you know, it's been a long time. Mm. But I wasn't very good at delegating initially. Mm-hmm. I thought that I should do everything, mm. and I still sometimes find myself doing things that other people should do. Like I run the chorus website, but it's the it's the industry I'm in, mm-hmm. so it kind of makes sense. But over over the years, I think the chorus have kind of just carefully levered jobs away from me, and then I've learnt really only in the last probably eight to ten years that I don't have to do everything, um, and that you know sometimes it could be just ninety percent of what I wanted, and that's okay because I didn't have to do yeah. it. So, yeah. but it, it takes a while to to do that. I think I'm a better manager at work, although I wonder if that's actually the other way around. I've become more better manager at work and so I've transferred those skills back into barbershop because really I just go to work to learn stuff that I can use for barbershop, not the other way around. <laughs> Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, <laughs> I, uh, there, would, there would be both situations, both uh, MDs wanting... Um, more input from the organisational wing as well as organisational wings wanting to, you know, uh, find a new balance with, with their MD. Um, what would what would your observations and experience be about how to find that better balance since, by the sounds of it, you've got a better balance now than you've had in the past? Look, I'm, I'm on Sweet Adeline's regional education faculty, so I go out and see a lot of choruses, and I think I've seen nearly every chorus in Australia multiple times over the years and there are some choruses where the management team see themselves as being in charge of the chorus the musical director is just a side employee and they try to have a very heavy control over the repertoire and all of those kind of things and I don't think it works I think that you need to have a strong leader as your musical director and that person's got to have a vision for the chorus and I think the management team needs to understand that they're 
the purpose of the chorus is not to be well is not to be a managed entity the purpose of the chorus is to make music and the musical director and the music team are the ones who make the music so management teams should be focused on how can we both best focus on the musical progress of the chorus and that principally has got to be supporting the musical director and you know choruses lose musical directors sometimes because of domineering management teams and you know what you can get a new treasurer and it doesn't really matter the chorus is the same and you can get a new membership person as long as they're nice to people the chorus is the same but you lose your director and that's a whole big change to the chorus and I mean you guys have both been in the, had the experience of being in choruses where the directors have changed it changes the whole personality of the chorus so I think I think I see the musical director as the key person in any chorus and that's not just because I am one yeah. <laughs> but but because of what I've seen of choruses that you know a musical director leaves and a new one comes in some members leave old members come back people talk about why this one's better people talk about why the last one was better it, it takes I think it takes about three years before a chorus really meshes in with a new musical director and everyone's happy I, I don't know Ash is that your experience um, I'll let you know at the end of this year <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so I think I think it's it's just important that you don't have what, what we used to call our two-headed monster, which is what we used to have, the management team fighting yeah. against the music team for what they want. It's interesting you say that. Certainly, I, I think we've all experienced, um, you know, at least some tension and us and them between the management team and, and the music team. Um, and, you know, the old, uh, if only the other team could get, you know, could get more organised and yeah. do their core business, then we'd be able to do ours. Um, and you know, with with both of them chasing their tail. Uh, um, to what extent? I mean, um, to what extent uh, is it the case then that every chorus is unique in that relationship? Because you know, there's a lot of similarities between MDs, but you've got some MDs who are you know really uh, almost have a gentle touch and then there are some MDs who are you know really quite firm about what they want um, and and same with with management teams some have uh, and, and so uh, how many how many sort of core concepts are there and how and and, and to what extent is it just um, unique to the chorus well the management teams change quite regularly so to, as a chorus director I'll tell you I've had more successful and less successful years partly based on my management team. The, the team coordinator is really important, which I think is the president for you guys. Mm. You know, somebody who's got their finger lightly in every pie, mm. and that's all, uh, but, it's, but in every pie, or else that doesn't work necessarily either. I think every time it's new management team rolls around, the old management team sits together and says, who's not staying on? Who have we got who's going to be a sensible and positive person for the leadership of our chorus. Mm. But but one of the things for a chorus like mine is that because we've now got some very clear goals about what we want to achieve and we've got a clear culture and a clear purpose, we don't have those kind of conflicts anymore. Whereas when we weren't really sure what or who we wanted to be and everybody had their own idea, that's when that kind of what looks like a musical conflict or a skills conflict can roll right down through the sections and through the management team as well. So um, having clear plans, clear goals, a clear understanding of your culture, that doesn't mean you have to want to win. I mean, your goal could be to have a great supper every week and have 30 women who all really like each other and do five fun performances every year. And you could, that's something, goal that you could be very successful and happy with. Somebody else's goal is to win international, and that's fine too. But as long as everybody's on the same page, that's when you can be successful. Mm. The time that isn't successful is when half the chorus just want to have a nice time and the other half of the chorus want to win. And the people who want to win say to the other, the nice time people, why are you ruining our chances? And the nice time people say to the competitive people, why are you pestering us and bullying us all the time? And they both have a point. <laughs> but you really just need to have one or the other because that, those two groups together don't work. And... Uh if hypothetically it was the case that it's that it's quite common not to have that agreement of mission and vision <laughs> um how how do you coach choruses to come to that realization and have those discussions where clearly by definition because they exist they may they may be somewhat difficult to have those discussions 
Um, I've run some classes at our director's school on this topic um, because, uh, because it is a really common one. And um, what happens if you've got a group like that? I used to have 70 singers where we were pretty much like that split down the middle. And what, you've, what we found was that um, everybody just spent all their time being stressed and angry. And so one of three things happens. Either the musical director just chucks a fit and leaves mm. and sometimes takes some, some of the inverted commas best singers with them. Mm. Or all the best singers, again inverted commas, get together and go and form a new chorus. Or the musical director sticks with it and the more committed singers leak away from the chorus and the chorus is left with the nice time singers. Mm. And um, so either way, there's actually no one good outcome for mm. that mm. scenario. So the musical director and the management team just need to decide what kind of chorus they want to be and you present that to the chorus and say, we want to do this. And if it's we want to get better, mm. we want to score this, we want to improve, you'll find that everybody in the chorus wants to do that. Mm. But that's when you have to say in order to achieve that, mm. and this is the missing step, this is actually what it means that we have to do mm. at rehearsal. Mm. This is actually what it means you have to you have to pan in riser tapes or you have to do this or you have to do that. Are you prepared to do those things? And they'll all say yes. Mm. And then you hold them accountable. And when you hold them accountable, that's when maybe things don't go quite as smoothly as they mm. had. Mm. So this is what I, that's what I did with my chorus. And I, in October, before our May convention, I said, in four months' time, you've all got to have handed in two riser recordings, one of each song, and they've just got to have all the right notes and words. That was it. Mm. Didn't talk about tuning, didn't talk about vowels. We just wanted the right notes and words, and 14 people didn't make the cut. And nine of them never handed in a recording, <laughs> and they couldn't believe it when I said, but you never handed in a recording, so you haven't made the cut, so you're not coming to contest. Um, and it, that was really just about culture change and um, so those people didn't come to contest and the chorus went from 70 singers to 40 and we were a very happy bunch of 40 because some people then said you know what the writing's on the wall here I can see this isn't the group that I want to be in and it sounds really ruthless you know when I give you the short version like that but the reality is it was just 70 really unhappy people who were just going to implode so if if you were to give advice to a chorus that um, having a goal of just not losing members is perhaps not a, uh, a sustainable goal, um, how would you help them through that and, and, and come to an understanding of the, the uh, journey you've been through and choosing, you know, choosing the fork in the road, I guess? Yeah, so what I now advocate is basically taking taking the framework of that as a process which is to get if maybe get somebody in if you're not able, don't have somebody who can facilitate yourself and actually really sit down and say who do we want to be and what are the either what do the you could say what do the majority of members want to do or what does the musical leadership team want to do because in the end they're the ones who have to actually have to enact whatever it is you decide on so let's this is who we want to be this is what it's going to mean who's in for the journey and now we'll provide you with every piece of help we can. We'll give you individual lessons. We'll get, let you meet at our house. We'll run section practice. We'll do all of those things to help you get there. But this is the, this is the bar. And people will meet it or they won't. And the interesting thing about the raising the bar exercise is that I had this delightful woman in my chorus who's no longer a sweet Adeline because of other reasons, who I really should, probably should never have let into the chorus. She really She struggled just to sing the melody. She took weeks to pass her audition and I said to her look I just don't think this is I don't think you're going to find this to be a positive experience you're too new in your singing journey and she said I work from home I have an abusive husband and three sons who treat me like crap and this is all I have and so I let her in and when we did this raising the bar exercise she recorded herself every week got an individual singing coach and eight weeks into the 12-week program passed both rises <laughs> so it actually was achievable for anybody who wanted it enough. And that was really the question for everybody is how much do you want this? And that's why our rule about attendance is you need to come to as many rehearsals as you need to come to to keep up whatever that number is, whether it's 2, 12, I don't care. Yeah. 
and and the, so, and cut knock and having a bunch of people come um, only as much as they need to um, how does that impact your work week to week uh, shaping the sound and just shaping the overall performance uh, and you know and, and, and teaching what the musical plan is etc it actually has less effect than you might think I mean I don't really have anybody who only comes to two rehearsals although sometimes in a quarter that might happen but I find that often those people because the answer is you need to do whatever you can to keep up they're often watching the recording of the rehearsal or they've contacted someone or they've marked up their music and so um, but yes, there, are, there is the week where it's like, hmm, three bases and 11 leads, that's going to be an interesting evening. But when you've got 40 people who are all on the same journey with the same focus, the weeks that they miss all sort of mesh together in the end and it kind of works. Or at least it, it works for us. Mm-hmm. And, and it has to because if I put in stringent attendance requirements then I'd have a good 15 of my best singers who simply couldn't come. And what's the point of that? Mm. It's a really interesting point you make about not making rules to, to cut off your nose to spite your face. Uh, you know, remembering what the mm. overall goal is. Um, and if this particular vehicle to get there actually is getting in the way, then it's not a lot of use, is it? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Well, yeah. And I don't, I, I don't want to be in the point position where you know, you set this rule where if you don't come to all six rehearsals before contest, you can't sing. And my chorus member, who is always there, breaks her leg and they can't come to two rehearsals. I'm like, no, nah, sorry, you can't sing. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having having smart expectations, I think, is, is, is really important. Um, listen, uh, we could uh, do an entire Harmony University <laughs> week on this, of course. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and, and yeah. uh, we, we may revisit this. But... Um, uh, time is, is rushing by. Before we get on to chatting through some of your extensive sort of quartet stories, tell us about, um, yeah, just briefly, your background in music uh, as a young'un and how you discovered Barbershop. So I've always been interested in music. When I was three or four years old, I was driving my parents crazy because I was bright and energetic and never stopped moving and they had two choices which was to send me to the French preschool to learn French or to send me to the YWCA and learn recorder. Fortunately Je Glenda. <laughs> yeah no I hope they taught me recorder so that was good but uh, I always had a knack for it so I taught myself to play organ you know two keyboards and pedals because I went to my grandmother's house every Christmas and pretty much if I could figure out how an instrument worked I could play it so but I had, and I had oh, six years of organ lessons, which just is so useful for parties. You know, I'll just pop out to the car and bring in my, you know, my organ for a sing-along. But for barbershop, it's great because with your left hand, you play the chords in all the different um, iterations. And with your foot, you play one, five, one, five of whatever the chord is. So actually, terrific chord knowledge for barbershop. Um, but I hadn't really done any formal music education. And when I was 18, I went along to a mixed chorus rehearsal in Canberra, thinking, I wonder what barbershop is, and just loved it. Like, I got in the door, they started singing old piano roll blues, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm this wa- is it. I want me some of I'm this. Hooked. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and amusingly, everybody in the chorus was over 40, which I thought was so old because I was Which 18. it is not. It, which is not, no, not old. And Ash, but it seemed Ash old is months away from agreeing with us that that is not old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the only other person in the chorus who was under 40 was Dan Milgate, who was a year and a day older than me. There so I actually go. met him on the first yeah. night that I did barbershop. And for, he'll, you know, he hates this, but for the listeners who don't know, we actually got married and had children <laughs> and then got unmarried again. We're still buddies. Well, we are now anyway. Um, you know, after a few years. That's, that's, that story but, um, is for an entirely different podcast, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, really. We've got a surprise for you. We actually got Dan on the line now. <laughs> Dan, how <laughs> Yeah, that, that wouldn't scare you. You should be scared because you just wouldn't get to talk no, for that's the rest true. of it. Uh, um, given we're laughing about this particular topic, I shall pull the curtain back just a little more. And, and so I, I, I messaged... Your, your ex-husband uh, this afternoon and said, hey, I'm, I'm interviewing, Ash and I are interviewing your ex-wife uh, later on. Is there anything I should or shouldn't ask? And he just, he just, just responded laughing, no, go for it. So, uh, yes, that, right. was, that, was, that was very <laughs> interesting. Uh, so there you no. go. Hey, no, no, 
we're good. No, we're good friends. He actually came, he came um, and stayed with me last Christmas. You know, actually in the house in a separate room. Mm, but you know, mm, mm. and and we had all the kids and stuff. So you know, we're we're, we're good now. So it's good. But um, but I just loved the barbershop barbershop music when I saw it, and it, we were a mixed chorus. Mm. And then um, barbershop harmony Australia, except you were AMS, then, AMS band, Australian yeah. Association yeah. of Ben's Barbershop. Yeah. Um, announced the first convention the following year. And the mixed bar chorus where I was in had 30 men and eight women. So they had a vote. Oh. Let's vote for whether or not we should go in that contest. And the vote went 30 to eight. Wow. And we were voted out unceremoniously. So at the beginning of 91, we started, uh, Leonie Wells and I started Brenda Bella. And, you know, we had, some nights we had three singers, which made it really hard to sing for. How many in your quartet anyway, yeah. And so had that vote been different, for example, you know, keep the club of mixed and, and have a, a sub-chorus of men, that history could have been very different. Yeah, yeah. But look, we we, conti- we actually met on the same night still. There were two halls in the mm-hmm. venue we were in and we'd have, we'd have supper together. So for a while there was that sort of collegiate thing going on. Mm. Uh, but... But you know, I I just loved it, and then I you tried everything. Did some quartetting, did some arranging. Subjected my chorus to singing my arrangements. It's a great thing to have a pet chorus that, that makes them sing. And I, I I've looked at some of those arrangements recently. I can't believe how bad they are, but I guess you can start somewhere. <laughs> and um, the only thing I'm not into is judging. I don't know that you guys are into that, but I'd much rather coach the chorus, write their music do all of that kind of stuff, support the director. But the judging part of it is just not something that... I'm very happy to sit in the audience and write numbers in a pad, and I'm reasonably accurate, mm. but... Uh, well, that's it. Yeah. That's that's why uh, each of these strands, each of these strings to the bow that is barbershop uh, is uh, is voluntary because uh, everyone has their own their own choice of which ones, which buttons they push. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, would... Uh, we need to race on so tell us um and yeah obviously you've, you've just taken to it uh, like a duck to water and as you say you've been involved in everything except the uh, the, the judging uh tell us briefly about quartetting uh, i know you've been to you've been to international representing australia numerous times um how did you um start quartetting and and yeah just uh, just summarize that journey for us in a few minutes obviously it's it's a big story in itself I can keep it down. So I've been in a few like uh, scratch quartetting type situations. Uh, I used to sing back when Dan was singing in Ford of the Bar with, um, and Nick Begby was their lead. He was often off touring with Idea of North. So I would sing lead in that quartet for various performances around town. Um, I sang on Red Faces at Hey Hey Saturday with a quartet. I've got, it's actually on YouTube. I'll send you the link. Um, and then I sang, started singing in quartets in contest and came pretty close to last. Tenth once, again, pretty close to last, came seventh with Synchronicity. We sang together for 11 years. And then when Caitlin Launch moved to Canberra, she'd previously been singing um, in Shortcut, who came, you know, maybe they're called Shortcut. Anyway, she'd previously <laughs> been singing. And we got together and it just kind of clicked. And the, and the interesting thing was that Three of us in Debacle, which is the quartet I'm in now, had sung in synchronicity and not done well. Um, and then with Caitlin in, we went into our first contest as the last contestant. And people looked at the book and went, oh, yeah, them again, new name, and started working out who was going to come first and second. And then we came out and sang and they all went, Blew oh, everyone away. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and we came second. So that was uh, pretty exciting. Yeah. And second to hijinks who couldn't go to international that year so we went to international and the next year we came first and then went to international and then the last time we competed in 2019 was just astounding because in sweet adeline terms if you get over 600 that's your 75 percent uh yeah 75 percent and that's which is kind of the equivalent to the bhs 78 79 mm. Um, we had three quartets who qualified to go to international. We had four quartets over 600. And poor Alouette, if they're listening, hi, Vicky and guys, <laughs> um, scored 10 points higher than Debacle's winning point the previous. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's and extraordinary. Came fourth. Yeah. <laughs> so we won with 597 and they came fourth with about 605. And so, yeah, so uh, Obsession, Debacle and Hijinks all qualified for international. So... So yeah, I've sung in bad quartets mm. and mixed quartets mm. and great quartets, and I'm and my mixed quartet that I was in for a couple of years came second two years in a row at 
um, in the BHA contests. And I, I love quartetting. I think it's great. I love quartetting with anybody who tag quartets, scratch quartets. Do you like quartetting and chorus singing equally or like you do? Do, do you sing much in Brenda Bella or do you mostly a non-singing director? I sing the whole time. Yep. <laughs> particularly since particularly since we're low on basses um, and I'm stronger than the average bass. Mm. I'm generally worth about three. So that's been good to prop up the bass section, but I can't... You can't not I sing. I can't conduct and not <laughs> sing. No, it doesn't work. So, but, but also we've got to the point now where... It, the package we put on an international, we sang five songs where I directed one. And my assistant director directed half of the other one. And the rest of them, we, I pretty much started the chorus and then just went and sang yeah, cool. and joined in with what was going on. So no direction at all. For our attractive listeners, is that something um, uh, you chose for... Uh, well, tell us why you chose it, but also in the end, what what, what yeah, what difference um, to the performance did that make, and to the to, to the audience's experience for not having someone at the front? So, it wasn't an entirely planned decision. Well, we've already covered how good I am at planning, but it also it was organic. It, it, it was organic in that. I'll often be standing out there going, "I'm not actually adding anything. You don't need me." And um, for the up-tempo numbers, we sang Viva Las Vegas. Mm. I think I sang uh, the Bright Light City Gonna, and I was out. That was as far as I got in the song before I then turned around and sang in the second row. Um, not the front row, because... Too shy. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, that's right, <laughs> too retiring. Um, but there were bass solos in that song, so every time there was the bass solo, I had a wedge of basses who came out the front with me, and we sang to the audience and then took off. Mm. And for one of the songs, I had the microphone and sang some solo while one of the other girls did as well. But um, if the chorus, if the director's not actually adding to the musical product and the chorus doesn't need them, then do something else because it's much more interesting for the audience to have the chorus sing to them. Mind you, the caveat is only do that if the chorus can do it without you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I mean, I'm certainly generally still towards the front and centre and the chorus have got one quarter of an eye on me, you know, for mm-hmm. head bobbing tempo or whatever. And I'll usually come out the front and conduct the end if mm-hmm. I needed to be. Mm-hmm. For the contest ballad, they absolutely needed me every second of the way. But for the rest of it, they were dancing. And there's always that question of how much am I gaining from the audience's experience by letting the chorus sing to the audience versus the couple of small issues that I might have for tempo. Yep. Mind you, if the wheels had fallen off, I'd have been straight back out the front with my mm. hands up and the chorus would have been like, oh, okay, yeah. we're all paying attention. And now, and now we're good again, so off we go. Yeah, yeah so certainly so, um, uh, in the blokes organisation, it's been a trend over the past, say, five or ten years for, as you say, the, the higher level choruses where the chorus can, can handle not having someone out the front waving their arms, um, join the chorus, which in, in my opinion, and Ash, I think you're of the same opinion, it really does open up the performers and the chorus to have more of a connection with the audience because otherwise, they, if the director's out the front, they can be looking at the director uh, and, 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 and sort of risking going into that mechanical mode where I'm just yeah. following the hands, etc. Um, mm. is, um, is that what you found, uh, e- even though you did this organically, is that what you ended up finding as well? Yeah, look, I think you have to have the singers be prepared to take responsibility for all the things that your hands would have told them. And that includes singing the diphthongs and knowing where the phrase endings are. And it works better with tempo songs, but even choruses where you have the risers looking at the director and the front row dancing to and facing the audience, it still feels disparate. That feels to me like two choruses to a, to a certain degree. So, but there's a place for both. So, you know, do the bits where you need the director with the director. And then when the director's not useful anymore, do something else. And it's a pretty easy test. You just, as the director, start them and let them know it's Walk away and, and see if the wheels fall off. The yeah. They can't see you. <laughs> if you stay at the front, 
they'll watch whichever bit of you yeah. is twitching in time. You've got to get out of the way. But that's a really but, interesting you know. point. It's not a binary situation. You know, maybe you can spend ten percent of the time in with the chorus or half the song or whatever it is. That's a really mm. interesting point. Yeah. 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 Or maybe even there's just ten percent of the song where they don't need you. Mm. Cool. Let's let's let that bit. Go exactly. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Because the important in a performance, the most important people in the performance are the audience. And I think once once we all start to understand that the audience are mm. the most important people in the room, then a lot of our ways that we choose to perform change. Also, I find it's a lot better for people who suffer from performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. Is that actually if they're just focused on the audience having a good time and much less worried about their false eyelashes, their sore feet, and their actually we perform in flats now, but you know all of that kind of stuff, then you know, it's actually much more fun. Mm-hmm. And then you get the reaction from the audience, and mm. then you want to do it yeah. again. Mm. And, you know, it's addictive. But you guys have both performed in quartets and choruses at Cowell, but where you've, you know you've got the audience in your pocket. There's nothing quite like that. I often um, equate performing for anyone who's had performance anxiety, and I think it's most people, um, that I think most people uh, get off... It's, it's a quite like the, um, the roller coaster. It's a bit scary when you're in the line to go on and then you're on it and sometimes it's, it's, it's like a white flash and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing here? And please get me off this thing. And then as soon as it's over, you're like a five-year-old child going, I want to do it again, do it again, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, performance, ang- having anxiety about going on stage, people can be a real thing mm. for people. I, totally. um, I I personally, I'm always quite open about it. I take a low dose of propranolol, mm. which is Indoral, when I go on stage. And people say, if you just do it enough, mm. if you just have enough practice, mm. as long as you're fully prepared, and I completely veto that point of view because I have been, I'll get on any stage. You, you put a box in the middle of the floor and I'll go and stand on it and sing. You know, it's not, I'm not shy and I'm always well prepared. But I find I get an adrenaline kick and that adrenaline kick makes my knees shake and my mouth go dry. Mm. And I feel, I don't feel anxious at all. I feel completely composed, I'm confident, except I'm cross with my knees and my mouth mm. for being dry. <laughs> and 20 micrograms of um, propanolol mm. is enough to knock that on the head. So the rule for my chorus is you have to go to your own doctor, you have to get your own prescription, mm-hmm. please take your own pills mm. and your own dosage. Mm. <laughs> Having got on stage with somebody who took somebody else's pills and it was 10 times the right dosage. Um, you know, just do it out. And you're not allowed to do it for the first time when we go on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, it's just a... You don't need much. Well, I don't need much. Yeah. But it does make a difference. Yeah, no, the, as you say, the, the dosage depends on the individual. Um, before we move off quartetting, just quickly, and, and, and uh, time's almost up, but uh, tell us about when, when you came out of nowhere to paraphrase your story and, and came second did you know you were on a bit of a good thing because you'd sang in quite, in, in quite a, a lot of competitions I gather and you know come a long way from the top um, did you know that you had something a bit special with that quartet yeah mm, cool. I knew we were coming second mm. and and you know cheerfully told our tenor at every possible opportunity because she wouldn't believe it like, we're going to come second. She's like, no, no, we can't. Yeah, yeah, we are. But, but I mean, we, you know, you, you know the other singers. Mm, of course. And, 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 you know, we're at, at being able to step back from our own performance and just look at that, like look at a recording, listen to a recording and think, if I was a judge, I think I wasn't surprised. Mm. Lots of other people were surprised, but mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised. And that particular performance was one of those amazing audience in the palm of your hand moments mm. but part way through the ballad we were singing if ever i would leave you and mm. there's a moment where the melody repeats if ever i would leave you and the bass sings Ooh. Yeah. and then there's a moment of silence yeah. and i've got this clear picture in my head mm. of a black audience with like the spotlights with lights and mm. the dust motes falling mm-hmm. and thinking they're going to stand mm. And we got to the end of the song and the audience went Wah! to their feet. And like, it's just one of my favorite ever stage moments, but partly because people were surprised. That was kind of cool. The next year was terrible <laughs> because we had all the, everyone's like, like well, hijinks aren't singing this year and <laughs> you're going to win. And 
and um, it had one of my worst stage experiences. Knees shook and didn't have much fun. And we decided we were never going to do that again. Some of my other most fun stage experiences were on the international stage because we had no expectation mm-hmm. of doing anything. We just didn't want to come last. Mm-hmm. And actually, we came twenty first out That's of forty two. Yeah. So, so that was that was really last. exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but the, but it was great because we just went out like. Hey, we're the we're the people from Australia. We can't believe yeah. you let us come here, and we're sorry our name is so weird. Um, and so we just sang, yeah. and and we decided that was a really good lesson to yeah. take back to regional contests the next year. Is actually this is supposed to be fun. And it uh, certainly won. I forget uh, where I got the piece of advice from. One of the best pieces of advice, um, just apropos your your thought before about the lights and the, the little bits of dust etc uh you know so many of us in because it is a bit fight or f- flight. flight fight fight or flight yes um i was thinking yeah. fr- fright <laughs> or flight or fight fright. yes um all of those yeah, all of the above is uh it, it, it the old cliche be present but you know some of some of our performances we literally can't remember and then others having the presence of mind to go actually yeah be here look at the lights look at the audience you know just uh, mm. be present how does it feel all that sort of stuff and uh and they're the bits i can remember when when you're actually allow your yeah. your um the, the the other things to get out of your head and and actually um think to remember it yeah, yeah. Look, the other thing I've started doing with my chorus, and the better we get, the more I believe in this, is that, you know, backstage when we're in the green room and ready to go on, and people give all kinds of speeches to their chorus, and I just, all I say to the chorus is, go out there and sing the shit out of it. Mm. That's, that's the entirety mm, of, my, mm, mm. of my sage advice. I said, mm. there is nothing else that, you know, you're not going to do anything new and clever on stage. Mm. We're not going to learn anything. We're just here to sing, to sing for the audience, so let's just seeing the shit out of it and they yeah. go okay yeah. on a similar it's vein it's much more fun when uh, when vocal evolution um was in, in hobart in 09 uh, and um the blenders had had won their whatever it was eight in a row over 16 years or something and and uh, ve was was you know feeling it had worked really hard and eddie eddie martinez had come across down from america to to coach us and help us prepare and and uh, there's only one apart from sort of sort of various vague memories the, the one single piece of advice I remember him giving Chorus, sort of consistent with, with what you're saying, uh, he just he told Chorus, you're ready. Um, and so, so don't start thinking of what if this and what if that and, and tr- don't try to um, think of a list 50 things long of the things you have to remember. Like You've done the work. Just go on stage and do what you've been preparing. And that's what yeah. we're here for. And uh, it was just one of the best pieces of advice I've, I've, I've ever remember receiving. And, and look, things just things go on wrong on stage sometimes. Mm. So, uh, someone else on Facebook posted a photo last week of when their shoe fell off halfway through rehearsal nice. and the official photo's got the chorus all with their arms <laughs> out in the middle of the stage. Here is this lone shoe. Um, is that I, on I the DVD? I think, I've seen hey? a, I think I've seen a performance where a shoe goes flying across the stage. <laughs> You've probably seen more than one, I think. But yeah. uh, <laughs> when I sang, with, I sang with Christchurch a few years ago at International and we were doing this... This set with a front row, it was like a um, cabaret something. A front yeah. row, we're all supposed to put one arm up above their head and yeah. pop, and then the next row, and then my row, which is because I was third row center, and I went with the front row. Woohoo! Nice. Two whole <laughs> lines before everybody else, and that's okay. And then the row in front of me went, and I just restated and did it again, nice. and then my row went. I'm like, okay, and yeah. I'll do restate it third time because here we are. And the director's just looking at me with his like kind of grin on her face but it didn't, it didn't matter no I don't, i've watched the video yeah no one cares yeah exactly it's all good it's um it's funny though uh it sort of reminds me of, of the concept of setting ourselves up for success um i was watching one of the old bhs i think it might even have been a video uh of one of the international chorus competitions and uh, the, the front row um each had an umbrella I don't think it was singing in the rain, but anyway, it was it was a song where each of the front row having an umbrella was was relevant, and they did the little the little jig with the umbrella and went to throw it up to to catch it again. And I just had this as an audience member through the video had had the thought of 
this is not a very smart move because it's a real risk of someone dropping it. And that's exactly what, uh, you know, audience I think would be thinking. I hope he doesn't drop it. And sure enough, one of them dropped it. And I was like, yeah, I do it. You do. That is not a smart piece of choreography to throw, no. to throw the umbrella up from one hand to the other because someone's going to drop it. No. And you've got to be really careful in Sweet Adeline contests. If you're one of your props leaves the stage and enters the judging pit, it's a 30-point penalty. Whoa. You can't, you can't throw things at the judges oh, in our organisation. Yeah. I believe you can still throw things at your judges. Well, but it's only fair. Like not ins- at ours. Like insults particularly, yes. <laughs> yeah. And at an international last year, um, this great quartet called Don't Call Me Shirley, who hopefully you guys have heard I about. have seen that if video many times. Listeners, yeah, can't, if anyone, I recommend it. Yeah. It's on yep. YouTube. Absolutely. Anyone who hasn't seen it, go watch it. But one of the Shirleys actually lost her boater. Yep. And it rolled off the stage and it actually caught on one of the speakers. Ah, so it didn't land in the judging right. pit. Yeah. And as they left, the last Shirley bent down, picked up the boater hat, waved it at the judges and headed <laughs> off. And very fortunate. There's, um, there's also... There was a time. There was a penalty. Also a performance of um, Windsor uh, in their first iteration with Kim on tenor. Um, where uh, whoever blew the pitch had a little uh, uh, magnet on her hip mm-hmm. and in part of the staging choreography when they walked past each other it was knocked and it fell on the floor uh, on, the, on, the, on the stage and uh, yeah I mean they just handled it like, like pros they kept going with what they were doing and then in the break between songs I think it was Kim just, uh, just knelt down, picked it up, and they went go- and kept going. And I went, yes, this is, that's what we want to see more of, is you just, the show must go on. So, uh, yep. be normal. Yep. So you're, refer- <laughs> be you're referring to her butt pipe. Yeah, yeah. So it was a very polite, but they're called butt pipes. <laughs> nice. nice. I'm very pleased. Because that's where they usually end up. Girls wearing these beautiful silken or whatever dresses yeah. um, with, with a big black pitch pipe stuck in her butt. Nice, <laughs> butt pipe. It's just... The- um, yeah, which but this le- is this is why you always go on stage with a second pitch pipe. Yeah, right in your cleavage. So <laughs> um, the, the last thing we'll um, uh, in just a couple of minutes left. Um, what um, advice would uh, would um, uh, today Glenda give a nineteen ninety uh, Glenda about her life in barbershop? <laughs> mm, plan like Ash. <laughs> plan like Ash. <laughs> do some planning. Um, I would say to her, you're better than you think you are. Be confident Mm -hmm. that you know what you're doing. I think I spent the first 10 years waiting for somebody to throw me out, you know, to discover that I actually didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of didn't. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But But I think I had a lot to learn about um, uh, managing a group of adults. Uh, particularly when I was barely an adult mm, myself. Mm. Um, so, I, in fact, I'm not sure that I could give a whole lot of advice to, to 1990 Glenda beyond just, you know, keep at it. Mm. It's fun because mm. a lot of the stuff you've just got to learn yourself as you go along. Mm. And actually learning it, learning it is, is part of the fun. I, I'm reading a book at the moment by Brendan Sanderson, which is a, a fantasy novel, but there's this whole... Um, uh, mantra that I've got was uh, life before death, journey before destination. Hmm. So this is actually about the journey, the destination. The destination is the end. Your barbershop life is your journey. Hmm. So I, I'm not sure I would want to skip anything, but I could probably have sped some of it up yeah, a little so, bit by, uh, you know, planning. <laughs> <laughs> I th- absolutely. I think, you know, it, it, it's the journey is, is the point and, and you... you by definition, um, you you can't get your experience without living through it. But sometimes we can get out of our no. own way, I think, and and, and allow ourselves yep. to to just go into the experience rather than second guessing ourselves, etc. So yeah, nice job. So so having thought about your question a little bit more though, I would say just decide on mm. what kind of chorus you want to be, mm-hmm. and then just be it. Yep. Don't be like one day when oh, we're yeah, a B chorus, one day when we're a C chorus, one day when we're. A... Just yeah, find out what it means to be a B chorus and be one. That's what the crowds have come to hear. Those things. That's, that, that's that, yeah. that wisdom. 
well, um, uh, Glenda Lloyd, uh, a quartetta, extraordinary international representative, uh, arranger, coach, uh, music director, uh, all-round barbershopper. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for your contribution to Barbershop in Australia and everywhere. Thank you. I'm really pleased to have been here. This has been great.